We are continuing our series. This is actually the the conclusion of this series, this retold series, in which we've looked at these these stories that many of us know really well. Stories that, that we learned in Sunday school, some of us. Some of us learned them in vacation Bible school. Maybe for some of you, one or two of these stories has been been brand new. But we're looking at these stories that we so often feel like we know, and in the process, trying to to see them again for the first time, trying to change our perspective on them, trying to to change the way that we see them. And and so today is the only one of these stories that we're going to be looking at that comes from the New Testament. And it's It's the story of a wee little man. Now, if I say that, many of you have a song that pops into your head, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. I promised Mary Jernigan that I would not bring her come up here and sing the rest of the song with me this morning. But just so you know, she was in the office this week singing. She knows the words to it, so if you don't know, you can go ask her. The story of Zacchaeus, this wee little man. It's a story that many of us know. I, m- many of you maybe have, a, have an image in your head already of, a, of an illustration from a, a Sunday school lesson or a vacation Bible school lesson when you were a kid of this man up in a tree. So that's where we're going to be this morning. We're in Luke chapter 19. Go ahead and turn with me. Uh, if, you, if you need a, a copy of Scripture this morning, grab one of those black hardback pew Bibles in front of you and turn with us to Luke 19. If you don't have a copy of Scripture to call your very own, please take one of those black hardback Bibles with you this morning as our gift to you. Luke chapter 19, we're going to be starting with verse 1. Will you stand with me as we read God's Word together? He, being Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. So, running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus! Hurry and come down, because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord, and if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of God. Read it believe it, and live it. Let's pray. Dear God, as we open your word this morning, as we study it, as we look at this story that so many of us know so well, God, I pray that we would see it again for the first time, that we would see it with new eyes. I pray that, that our, maybe our perspective on it would, 
be changed and that through it our perspective of life and of the world might be changed. God, as we open your word, as we study it, as we read it together, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing to you, our God and our King. Amen. Maybe seated. So one of my favorite categories at the Oscars is best cinematography. Okay, I'm that kind of nerd. You can take your best actor and best supporting actress and all of those awards, but it's, it's those technical awards that always fascinate me. Because, because we look at the actors and the actresses and we know what they're doing and and maybe we understand what the director is doing, but, but those, those minor technical awards of, of makeup and effects and cinematography are so important to the telling of the stories that we watch on the screen. You know, a skilled director of photography or, or DP has enormous control over how you see and understand a movie. As you're literally seeing the movie through the eyes, or perhaps more accurately, through the lens of the DP. The choices of the director of photography, which film or light lens to use, how to light a scene, and most importantly, how to literally frame the story, becomes integral elements of the story telling. I particularly like sometimes watching how the camera is used in animation. Because in animation, there's not an actual physical camera, right? That's not the way it works. But, but, but that also means that animation is not limited like real-life filming is. In real life, you can only make a camera do certain things, But in animation, you can do literally anything. And so sometimes in animation, you get this just really interesting movement of the camera. One of the things that I like, and this is sort of a trope in a lot of cartoons, right, is maybe you're in real close on the face of one of the characters, and at some point, the, the camera begins to swing around and zoom out. And, and so you, you see their face looking at what they're looking at, and the camera moves around, and you see what they're looking at. Some of you are nodding. You know what I'm talking about. Right? And, and it's, there's always this big reveal as part of that, to, to see what it is that they are looking at. Suddenly... Right? In the, in the midst of the storytelling, we have this bigger, fuller picture of what is going on. By changing our perspective, we suddenly know more and understand more than we did before. This is one of those stories, I think, that can, that can change our perspective. It was really interesting. The, the first assignment in my first preaching class in seminary was everyone in the class, everyone in the class had to preach a sermon on this text. Now you hear that and you're like, man, I cannot sit 
through 15 sermons about the same text. And yet, we had 15 different sermons. Each of them grounded in Scripture. Each of them faithful to the text. But 15 different sermons. Because there were 15 different people who were coming to the text and who were seeing the text. And and there's so much here that they all saw different things. I just think it's, there's an, an irony to the fact that, that a text that is so clearly about changing perspective could be used to show a class of students how important perspective is in the, the art, the act of preaching God's word. So so we get here and we see that Jesus is passing through Jericho. Right? We we, we get that. He entered Jericho and was passing through. That's important. Luke is, is giving us that detail for a reason. Why is he passing through? Why didn't Luke not just tell us he came to Jericho? Well, see... Luke is, is, is doing something here. He's reminding us of where we are in the story. If I could change any one thing about Scripture, it would be the order of the New Testament books. Because Luke and Acts were written both by Luke, Right? And Luke intends them to be one narrative. Now, I understand why in the early days of the church, and they were consolidating everything together, they put John at the end, because Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a lot of similarities, and John is sort of the outlier, right? We've, we've talked about that before. And so I understand why they put, I, maybe they should have put John first. John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Acts. But I wish Luke and Acts had stayed together. Because if we had done that, we would have seen something that Luke is doing. And and, and what Luke is doing here is is that he has this overall narrative structure that's marked in three stages. The first is, is Christ's journey to Jerusalem in the first part of Luke. And then the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts is marked by the time in Jerusalem. It's Jesus' death and resurrection in Luke and his ascension and the Pentecost and the first early days of the church in the first chapters of Acts. And then the last movement of Luke's storytelling, right, is the, is the gospel going out from Jerusalem onto the very ends of the earth. So you have this this Jesus headed to Jerusalem, time in Jerusalem, time going out from Jerusalem structure. So so Luke is, is reminding us by saying that Jesus is passing through Jericho. Luke is reminding us where we are in the story. He's reminding us where Jesus is headed. He's not headed to Jericho. 
in a very real sense, until Jesus gets to Jerusalem, in Luke's storytelling, Jesus is not headed anywhere except Jerusalem. Jerusalem and the cross and the empty tomb is the goal. That's the destination. And so before Jesus gets there, no matter where he is, he's passing through. Now, we are almost to Jerusalem. If you know where Jericho is in relation to Jerusalem, you know that we're almost to Jerusalem. But we're not quite there yet. The next thing that Luke tells us is that in Jericho there was a man named Zacchaeus. He gives us four pieces of information about Zacchaeus. He tells us that Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector. He tells us that Zacchaeus is rich. He tells us that Zacchaeus is short. But he also tells us that Zacchaeus really, really, really wants to see Jesus. This is it. This is, this is sort of what we know of Zacchaeus. If we, were, if we were giving notes to Luke, if we were part of his readers group, his, his alpha readers on his story, we might return a note on Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, not a well-developed character. A little shallow. Because we only have these four pieces of information about him. There's not a lot of character development in Zacchaeus. We know that Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus so badly, and he can't because of that other piece of information that we have, that he's short, that he runs ahead of the crowd and climbs a tree. Now, I want you to keep in your mind what it would be like if on Farmer's Festival Day, as the parade is coming down the street, if suddenly you looked up and you saw Mayor Kemp up in a tree so he could see the parade. It, it would not be very dignified, would it? We wouldn't, we, 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 might, we might think thoughts about him. Or, or, or on Thanksgiving Day, as we're all watching the parade in New York come down Park Avenue, and suddenly a, a camera swings up, and there in a tree in Central Park, so they can see the parade, is the Secretary of State. They might not be the Secretary of the State by the end of the day, right? It's not dignified. It's not, it's not what you do. You don't, as a grown man, you don't climb a tree. In fact, for those of you who are grown men, when was the last time you climbed a tree that didn't involve a tree stand? It probably was when you were a little kid, right? Yep. But he wants to see so Jesus so badly that he's climbing up, he's straining, 
He's struggling to see this this Galilean as the crowd forms, pushing in on Jesus, surrounding Jesus, crowding Jesus. And the next part, I sort of see in my mind as an extended shot in a movie. The camera is, is following Jesus as he pushes his way through the crowd and as the crowd pushes in on him. In fact, maybe, maybe even we lose sight of Jesus in frame as, as the crowd pushes in around him. Oh, nope, there he is again. You know, this, this isn't a steady cam shot. This isn't smooth, right? You're, 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 you want to be part of the crowd, so you're, it's a handheld shot, and you're, you're being jostled. The, it, it's frenetic. It, it's loose. The camera tightens in on Jesus, and then it begins this really smooth drop and pan. And it pans up. And suddenly, there, separate from all of the other crowd, we see a man up in a tree. And we see that Jesus sees him. Jesus is the only one in the crowd, in fact, that sees him. Because all the rest of them are so focused on what's happening right in front of them that they can't look up. Then the camera switches to a crane shot and it it sweeps up over the crowd, panning around to see Jesus' fate right as it passes over Zacchaeus' shoulder. And we see him looking down on the crowd, this man who was so accustomed to being looked down on, Right? He's short. He's so short he can't be seen in the crowd. His whole life he's been looked down on literally. And he's been looked down on metaphorically because he's a tax collector. And suddenly he's in the tree looking down on everybody else. To see Jesus, Zacchaeus needed a new perspective. For us to see Zacchaeus, the lens had to look in a different spot. Our perspective had to change in order for us to see Zacchaeus. And then Zacchaeus calls up, Jesus calls up to Zacchaeus, and he tells Zacchaeus to to hurry on down and to get supper ready. Now, I don't know whether or not Zacchaeus is married. That is not one of the facts that Luke's gives us. However, we could assume, given his age and his culture, that he probably is. Gentlemen, you have gone into town. You come back to the house with some dude from the north part of the county and 12 of his friends and tell your wife, hey honey, guess who's coming for dinner? Gentlemen, does that end well for you? Ladies, are you overly pleased? Zacchaeus, you couldn't have sent somebody ahead. I got to pick up the living room. I I was going to wipe down the guest bathroom tomorrow. 
I don't even know. I mean, we've got like two frozen lasagnas in the freezer, but those things take like an hour and a half to cook. I don't, what do you want me to do? But notice when, when, when Jesus says that, there's no, there's no question, right? There's no, hey, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come on down. Can I go to your house tonight? Hey, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come on down. I need a place to stay. Your guest room available? There's no question on Jesus' part. Jesus tells Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. And then, what does Zacchaeus do? He, he, doesn't, he doesn't try, oh, well, Jesus, I would love to, but we're in the middle of repainting the guest room, and everything's oh, just a little crazy, and, and the dog hasn't had a bath this week, and there are no excuses, right? What we, the next thing we see is he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. No excuses. No hemming and hawing. No well, I'd love to see you, Jesus. How's Tuesday week? I can get you in for about 30 minutes. Or, or, or how about this, Jesus? I can get you in for about an hour on Sunday morning from 11 to 12. When Jesus invites himself, Zacchaeus welcomes him joyfully. But then something happens. Jesus is welcomed joyfully by Zacchaeus, but what does the crowd do? How does the crowd respond? All who saw it began to complain, he's gone to stay with a sinful man. Well, yeah, bub. And if he had gone to your house, he'd be staying with a sinful man too. But see, Zacchaeus is a different kind of sinful man, right? He's a, he's a tax collector. Now, no one in the history of humanity has ever liked paying taxes. Nobody. I am fully convinced that there's 15 seconds every payday where every human being on the planet is a libertarian. When they open their paycheck and they see how much money the government has taken in taxes, for 15 seconds, everybody is a libertarian. Government taking my money. But, but the anger, the animosity that they have for Zacchaeus isn't because he's a tax collector. Isn't because they're having to pay taxes. It's because what a tax collector symbolizes in their culture. See, we may not like paying taxes. But at least the taxes aren't imposed on us by a foreign government several thousand miles away. In fact, if I remember correctly, I think we fought a little war about that on this continent. See, tax collectors made their money by overcharging people. See, Rome would come in and say, Alicia, I need you to collect the taxes for Fairmont, but I'm actually not going to give you any money to do your job. So you've got to get $5 from everybody in town. That's what you've got to send to me. But if you want to collect 10 from everybody and keep 5 for yourself, A-OK. 
And so tax collectors come to be seen not only as agents of this hostile foreign occupying power, but also as greedy, thieving, corrupt jerks. Now I'll remind you, Jesus already has a tax collector in his 12, right? Who's that? Matthew. But see, the crowd grumbles because, because Zacchaeus isn't any, any sinner, right? He's, he's the big sinner. He doesn't sin like I do. I mean, my sins are okay. His sins are the worst. You know, I said that Jesus was still on his way to Jerusalem, and that was true, but I also said that he was almost, he was almost there. In fact, just later in chapter 19 is his entry into Jerusalem. This is, this is one of the last public acts of Jesus' ministry before he enters Jerusalem to shouts of Hosanna and waving palm fronds. This lacked last public act of ministry on the way into Jerusalem is in many ways an echo of the first act of Jesus's ministry. If you go back to Luke chapter 4, we see Jesus beginning his ministry in Nazareth. He has just come in from the desert where he has fasted and prayed and been tempted. And so he comes into his hometown on the Sabbath, as he always did, we are told. He goes into the synagogue He asks for the scroll of Isaiah, and he begins to read from it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Everyone was pleased. This is hometown boy done good. This is Joseph's son. Isn't this the kid who fell in front of my house and scraped up his knee? (laughs) Hey, man, you remember that time that we all went down to Jerusalem for the Passover and Mary and Joseph left him there? Isn't it wonderful that he's one of us? This is another movie scene, right? Jesus sitting there, the the camera in tight on his face. You can't see who's saying these things, but you hear the murmurs. He's read them the scripture, and then he tells them the last thing that they want to hear. He told them that the good news that he has might not actually be for them, or might not be for them alone. See, they they had drawn a circle. They had drawn a circle of us. And who was the us? And who was the them? And that circle was too small and too tight that the the line and the arms of acceptability and belonging were a little wider than they thought. And so in an instant, they turn on Jesus. Surely this, this wasn't right. Surely what Joseph's son was saying couldn't be true. And suddenly Jesus is outside that narrow circle. They get so angry in Nazareth that they try and kill him. 
And so now at the end of Jesus' ministry, at the end of the road to Jerusalem, that same lesson, that same need for a new perspective must be addressed again. This is the point where we often get hyper-focused on Zacchaeus and what he is doing. We want to be Zacchaeus, right? Run ahead of the crowd. Run ahead of the culture. Climb the tree. Do whatever you have to do to see Jesus. Okay. Good advice. See, that's what we want, right? We want to change. And we want Jesus to tell us that salvation has come to our house. But what if we aren't Zacchaeus? What if we're the crowd? What if the story isn't about our conversion, but about our stubbornness? Yet again, here in Jericho, the crowd has drawn a circle of acceptability and placed one that Jesus calls to himself outside of that circle. The crowd... Jesus is saying, has to change their perspective. This, this one that you call a sinner, that you have looked down on his whole life, the one that you deem unacceptable, this is the true son of Abraham. Not because he has Abraham's DNA, but because God has extended God's promise to him. John the Baptist had told the people that God could make stones into children of Abraham if God so desired. Jesus preached in Nazareth that it wasn't only biological children of Israel that were to receive God's favor, but also those from Sidon and Syria too. And so Zacchaeus isn't a son of Abraham because of his DNA. He's a son of Abraham because God claims him. Because Jesus says, he's mine. Becomes a son of Abraham because God Wants him because God does not recognize our boundaries. You know, Abraham is chosen not because Abraham does anything worthy to be chosen. Abraham is chosen because God chooses him. That's it, that's the story. Some of you might say, That's it, that's the tweet. God chooses Abraham, period. Hit sin. It isn't Zacchaeus' action. It isn't his running ahead and climbing the tree that causes Jesus to accept him. No, Jesus calls him while he's still in that tree. He's still out of acceptance. He's still out of the crowd. He's still an outsider when Jesus calls him. And it's that grace that Jesus extends by calling Zacchaeus to himself that causes Zacchaeus to act, that causes him to come down out of that sycamore tree back into the crowd. And so the crowd, we, we have to change our perspective. The gospel isn't only for us. No matter how we draw the lines of us, they'll never be wide enough. They'll never be expansive enough to equal God's love. As long as we draw the lines, they will not be sufficient. Jesus is reminding us it's not our job to draw the lines. We're not the gatekeepers. We're not the deciders of what is and isn't acceptable. That's his job. And sometimes he calls people to himself, and we just have to scratch our heads and wonder, why'd you pick that guy? Some of you may look in the mirror and scratch your head 
and say, why did you pick that guy? Wonder where they came from. Wonder why. Because after all, we, we weren't looking up. We didn't see him up in the tree. He's a sinner, aren't we all? Our only job is to respond to the grace of God with joy and appreciation, just like Zacchaeus does. The joy and appreciation that, after all, God's circle was big enough to include us. We need a new perspective. Changing our perspective can let us see things clearer and more fully. Sometimes to gain a new perspective, we need to move the camera to see from a different angle. To gain a new perspective, Zacchaeus had to climb a tree. But so many times, like the crowd, all we see is the stain of sin on and in someone else as we look down on them. And so for us to gain a new perspective, God incarnated himself, passed through Jericho into Jerusalem, climbed his own tree so that we could look up and see him. And our perspective is changed. We are changed. Jesus is passing through Jericho. He's about to enter Jerusalem. About a week after he passes through Jericho is when Jesus comes to this table. He comes to this table. And it's here that our perspective can be changed as well. If the deacons will go ahead and come on forward as we prepare to celebrate.